Good evening. Uh, please open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to take our study from verses 6 through 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I appreciate Brent's song so much because they, uh, all three of those songs, though they are all different, uh, they all kind of meld together the idea of what we're going to be talking about tonight. I want to begin tonight by just getting right into the text. So notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 6 through 10, as we discuss modeling joy and affliction. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come Paul here is praising the Thessalonians for becoming examples to believers and for sounding forth the gospel to unbelievers They were so effective that Paul says at the end of verse 8, you can notice it there, that he need not say anything because their influence was so, so well known. He didn't need to tell other people about their example. Other people were telling him. We want to be fruitful like these Thessalonians, do we not? We desire just the way we live our lives and the way we speak to just change people's lives without even everybody else having to say something, just our own actions, our own words, being fruitful like that, changing people's lives, giving them hope, bringing salvation to them. But how is this possible? I believe that in order for this to be possible, we must follow the same path to fruitfulness that the Thessalonians followed here. How were these Christians then able to be so fruitful, uh, so, uh, so effective and influential to other Christians and to non-Christians? Well, notice verse 6 with me again. Notice verse 6 again. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example. See, the key here is that everything starts with the joy of the Thessalonians in affliction. That's how they were able to be so influential. Last time we were together, we did an overview of Thessalonians, and we noticed how much the Thessalonians suffered when they received the word. They received the word in affliction. How frightening that must have been. There was great persecution, deadly and hateful persecution from the Jews and the people of their city. How frightening that must have been. But for these Thessalonians, what Paul remembers is their joy. He remembers their joy. If we're real about affliction, trials, whatever, wherever we're talking about, whether it's long-term, short-term, a daily obstacle... We can be real about this. It's not pleasant, is it? Nobody, nobody looks forward to and just anticipates their next time of suffering. Why then do these new Christians, new Christians after only a few months, have joy? 
I believe the text here gives us two reasons. And we can notice that reason there at the end. The first reason I want to talk about at the end of verse 6 there. Notice that their joy was of the Holy Spirit or from the Holy Spirit, as some translations say. Now, this is not to say that the Holy Spirit superimposed some good feelings or some good vibes on their hearts or placed something on them. No, just think about the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit is referred to throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament as the bringer of spiritual life and the bringer of spiritual blessings, I believe this simply means that their joy was something given to them by the Holy Spirit's blessings or by God's blessings. Uh, This means that joy was not something they produced in their own hearts. Like we often try to do is find joy and find purpose in our own uh, trials and affliction from our own strength. But that's not what they did. They found it from God. Their joy was God-given from God's blessings, from the Holy Spirit's blessings. Meaning they focused on their relationship with Christ and the blessings of it, their security in salvation, their covenant with God. When they meditated on and rejoiced in these things, this produced a joy in their hearts that overcame one of the most difficult persecutions mankind can experience at the beginning of their walk with Christ. That's how powerful their joy of the Holy Spirit was. And in the same way, you and I can rejoice in any difficulty if we will meditate on and rejoice in our spiritual blessings and our security and salvation brought to us by God. We'll talk more about that later. I want you to notice also uh, there's a second. There's a second reason they have joy. Because persevering in joy by focusing on our spiritual blessings is still, especially for new Christians, pretty unnatural when we consider that our lives are physically crumbling, isn't it? How are these new Christians able to focus on their spiritual blessings in trials and tribulations and persecution? Notice then again the beginning of verse 6. They became imitators of us, us referring to Paul and his fellow workers and teachers, the uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and maybe others who are with them. And it also says, and of the Lord. They became imitators of Paul and his, their other teachers and of the Lord. And so this means then that the Thessalonians did not just learn how to rejoice in their suffering by simply focusing on their spiritual blessings, but by also imitating the teachers around them and imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ as well in his sufferings. They looked to their example. They looked to the model of others and imitated them. Consider for a moment how Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3 speaks of the same thing about how we can have joy and endurance and suffering by looking to our fathers of faith and by Jesus and by looking to Jesus Christ himself. Notice the text there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In the midst of suffering, the Hebrew writer told his readers to do the same exact thing that the Thessalonians were already doing. He told them, look to those around you. Look to those who have deceased, to those fathers of faith who endured. You know what chapter 11 is like, all those heroes of faith that are brought up there. He's bringing up all them. He says, imitate them, imitate their joy and affliction. But also look especially to Jesus Christ and how he went to the cross and despised all that shame and had joy, joy in the midst of that persecution and in the midst of his death. He says, look to them in the same way. We will not grow weary Christians if we will imitate Jesus Christ and imitate those around us who have also imitated him, remembering his endurance and remembering his joy. So the Thessalonians then overall, they had joyous faith and affliction by focusing on, meditating on, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit's blessings in their life and by imitating Paul, Silas, Timothy, others, and Jesus Christ. If we're honest about our own suffering, I think we're going to recognize that it's very difficult to not be negative in the midst of our suffering, have negative dispositions and negative attitudes. Our attitudes can often turn quite sour and quite unthankful. And oftentimes uh, we can turn to physical idols for temporary comforts and happinesses to kind of uh, let allowing sin to comfort us in those difficult times. But no matter what our affliction is, when we feel like giving up, when deep despair comes at us hard, we can endure with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Kneel in prayer, fall to your knees, let's all fall to our knees in thanksgiving for our infinite, our infinite spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ, for our confidence in salvation, though our physical lives are crumbling and afflicted. When negative unthankfulness and sin afflict us and tempt us, look to Jesus Christ who came to earth, went to the cross so that he could save us and so that he could, as Hebrews argues throughout, become our brother and know our afflictions as well. Meditate on the manner in which he went to the cross with joy. Why? Because of the the hope he knew was at the end. He knew there was a hope at the end. That's what Hebrews talks about. And that's what you and I can meditate on as well and imitate in Jesus Christ. He focused on the hope and we can focus on the hope as well. There are others who have imitated him and so we can imitate them as well. Consider if Jesus Christ would have went to the cross and complained Would we have viewed him as so impressive? Oh, we would not have at all. But we can endure by looking to him and saying, if he did it, he's showing us that we can too. We can endure with joy without negative attitudes. And so I encourage you, look to him and imitate others who have imitated him as well. Joyous faith and affliction is only possible by rejoicing in our confident, confident hope in salvation, our guaranteed spiritual inheritance, and by imitating Jesus Christ. But here's the interesting thing. In this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is not simply 
focusing on the Thessalonians' joyous faith and affliction. He's not just praising them for having joyous faith and affliction, but for what their joyous faithfulness in affliction accomplished. Notice verses 6 through 8 with me again. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Paul is thankful for the joyous faith of the Thessalonians because of how it accomplished two things in Christ's kingdom. Their joyous faith became an example to the believers throughout the world, and it caused the gospel to sound forth to unbelievers in Macedonia and Achaia. As we think about that, we think, how in the world is that possible? It sounds a little unrealistic. How in the world could someone's joyous faith and affliction encourage, mind you, new Christians' joyous faith and affliction, cause believers to be encouraged, cause believers to grow, and cause unbelievers to come to salvation? Well, actually, if we think about it, this is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. This is frequently spoken of, of the effect of someone's joy in trials and tribulations. Consider first how throughout the Bible we see that joyous faith teaches believers. Think even of how, how did the Thessalonians learn their own joy in faith and affliction? Well, it was because they learned it from other people. They learned it from Paul, Silas, and Timothy and whatever other teachers they had. They imitated them. Joyous faith in affliction, Christians, spreads and becomes a model by which other Christians lived. This happened here in Thessalonians, and it happened throughout Acts as well. Consider, after Stephen was stoned for boldly and joyfully proclaiming the gospel in the midst of a threat of death, how did the Christians respond in chapter 8 of Acts? Persecution came on them, and they spread everywhere proclaiming the word of God. They modeled Stephen's bold joy and affliction and spread forth the word, modeling Stephen. This this model, this spreading effect of joy and tribulation is the same reason why Paul later on, you know, he was stoned in Lystra and almost died. Stoned in Lystra, he left, but then came back to Lystra and told those believers there, through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did he do that? Because he knew his example would spread. His joy caused the growth of other believers when they too were experiencing similar persecution, similar trials. If we will handle our afflictions with joyous faithfulness, just like the Thessalonians did, like Paul did, we too can become models and examples for other Christians to follow. And so I want you to consider in your own life right now, what afflictions are present for you? What trials are present in your life? It might be something in your family, your marriage. It might be something uh, with your children that's going on. It might be something in your health. It could be addictions. It could be depression. It could be something with your career, some sin you are seeking to overcome, or the consequences of other people's sin you are dealing with. 
It might be persecution or anything else or any combination of these things. What is it that's going on in your life right now? We have the opportunity to show real love for our brothers and sisters in Christ by conducting ourselves during these afflictions and trials in a way that displays a righteous and joyful example for them in afflictions. Even if we've been poor examples in the past, we can change that. Each one of us, consider this, each one of us can give our family, our church, and Christians everywhere a model of joy to follow when they are afflicted as well. How this happens is not complicated at all. Consider, children imitate their parents Because they are frequently exposed to their actions and frequently exposed to their words. In the same way, if we will increase our interactions with one another and our real spiritual conversations with one another, they, others here, can begin to imitate us and we can begin to imitate them. I believe this calls for you and I to begin to start having real, meaningful spiritual conversations about our afflictions with one another. Though it is difficult, instead of being private or instead of being superficial or instead of being negative about our trials and our conversations with other Christians, this model of joy Consider, it can be even displayed not just in our personal conversations, but it can be displayed by even our comments in class. That's what's so wonderful about these classes that we engage in, whether throughout the week or on Sunday here, is we can be open with one another and we can display a model for other believers. And by the way, I'll throw in a little note from Romans class this morning. That means if we're going to start being open with one another, we need to be delicate with one another's sufferings. And if someone is open with us, we need to be delicate about that and not be harsh with them or not slander them or gossip with them. We need for all of us to build this culture, this community here where we are seeing one another where we are like that Acts 2 community model where the church was getting together. They were so close together. They shared their afflictions together. They knew what was going on in each other's lives. Just think of how here, how many people through their joy and affliction, how many people here have encouraged you by their past joy, by their current joy. We know who they are. There are so many here who have displayed that for us and been open with us about their struggles. And while they are such an encouragement to me, I know they're encouragement to you. You can do the same thing. We all can do the same thing and be models, display an example of joy and affliction so others can look to us and say, I can do what they've done. I can do what Ed has done, what Brent has done, what so many have done and had that joy and affliction. So many here have done this. The importance of modeling joy and affliction cannot be overstated. We need, Christians, we need more models in Christ's kingdom. We need more models in this congregation. Because times aren't getting any better. We need a multiplicity of models as persecution and as the consequences of sin wreck each other's lives, wreck people's lives.
Second, notice and consider how joyous faith teaches unbelievers as well. This second effect is seen at the beginning of verse 8. You notice there, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. I love that trumpeting sound, that sounding forth the gospel to unbelievers. The Thessalonians' joy caused them to sound forth the word of the Lord to unbelievers. But I want us to consider how is this possible? How does our joy and affliction cause unbelievers to come to Christ? Consider in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas had been beaten and thrown in prison when they were in Philippi. What did they famously do while they were in prison? They sang. They sang praises to God. And that caught the attention of the jailer, didn't it? And when that jailer's life seemed hopeless and when he knew that he was going to suffer soon, when that jailer realized that all hope was lost, who did he turn to? For salvation and hope. He turned to Paul and Silas. Why? Because he had heard them singing. He learned from their joy and affliction. He wanted to have their salvation. He wanted to have their hope and their joy that they had in hopeless and joyless times. He wanted to imitate and model them as an unbeliever. Their hope and joy taught him. Just as our joy from the Holy Spirit can be learned from other believers, unbelievers can model our joy and suffering as well if we allow it to. There is no reason for us Christians to avoid real conversations, real spiritual conversations with our unbelieving friends. We can be open with them about difficult times in our lives while at the same time avoiding their example of negativity negativity and hopelessness and cynicism. We can avoid that example and show them something different. We can show them what joy and confidence is and Christ is like when our physical lives give us no reason to give to have joy or rejoicing or hope. Think, we don't separate ourselves from the world or display an example to the world by unthankfulness or complaining or negativity, do we? We draw others to us by our joy. Many of you here may have recognized that. People in the workplace, they notice there's something different about that person. Well, let's seize upon those opportunities when they want to know about our joy or when they comment on our joy and trials and affliction. Let's humbly explain to them why we have joy and not avoid that conversation, but allow them to have the opportunity to have that joy as well. Explain to them how our hopes lie beyond this world. Jesus is coming soon to save us and I don't have any hope in this world. What an awesome opportunity we have to display that joy. You and I can become effective models of joy and faith for not just believers, but for unbelievers as well. Our joy can draw others to Christ. Isn't that amazing? What amazing opportunity that is. But as we consider this and we think about how to do this, uh, I know for myself at least we start wondering Well, how effective is this really? Is this really an effective means of teaching one another and and teaching unbelievers? Uh, Consider verses 8 through 10 and we'll see just how effective it is. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, regions in that area, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The Thessalonians example and preaching were so effective that Paul says here at the end of verse eight, we need not say anything. Most agree that Paul is commending the Thessalonians because he himself had no need to tell Christians and non-Christians about the Thessalonians model of joy and affliction. Instead, the believers and unbelievers Paul was running into were telling him about the Thessalonians and how they received the gospel in affliction and how it has taught them and motivated them. Paul didn't have to say anything. And let me submit to you that that is high praise from Paul to say, I didn't need to say anything to these people. G.K. Beale, a commentator, emphasizes this. I love what he says. He says, Paul was in a manner of speaking without a job, especially in the nearby regions in which the Thessalonians were spreading the gospel. Paul's silence is a loud testimony to how effective the Thessalonians and their disciples were. I believe that Beale hits the nail on the head. Paul was thankful for the Thessalonians' joy and faithfulness and affliction because it caused Christians to be strengthened and non-Christians to be converted without Paul himself having to say anything at all. Paul the preacher didn't have to say anything because these new Christians were so effective at teaching believers and unbelievers. I believe this gives us a magnificent picture of how churches should function and how the gospel spread so effectively and rapidly in the first century without our modern technology. I often wonder how Paul and his small band of evangelists were able to spread the gospel so effectively all alone. But I think you and I know that if Paul and his fellow teachers were all alone, they wouldn't have made it past Antioch. Not a single one of the churches that they planted would have exploded with growth if Paul, Silas, Timothy, Peter, and others were on their own. They weren't on their own at all. In fact, often these churches that they began were very fruitful. In fact, this church's example, the Thessalonians' example, shows that Jesus Christ's gospel only sounded forth louder after Paul and the other preachers left. That's impactful. That's an impactful example. Paul couldn't stop running into people who had been taught and strengthened by the Thessalonians when he wasn't even in those areas. He wasn't even in Thessalonica anymore. That's how effective the Thessalonians were. He didn't need to say anything. They themselves spoke to others. And all of this started, remember... By modeling joy, faithfulness, and endurance in the midst of their trials, tribulations, and persecution. So here's the point for us. I can be sort of effective as I go and teach classes. 
But the Thessalonians show us that it is 10,000 times more effective when all of us take this opportunity to use our joy in affliction to draw others to Christ. It's just the simple thought of many voices are far more effective than a few voices, right? Too often preachers have viewed their work as of evangelism as their own personal endeavor. And I want to knock that wall down. And if anything I have ever said uh, displays that, I want to knock that wall down. We are ineffective on our own. We will never grow on our own. And I believe that this is a serious, though accidental, rejection of the New Testament pattern. We talk about New Testament patterns, but the New Testament pattern was not just what we do here on Sundays or in this building. The New Testament pattern is what we do with our individual lives, Christians. You and I, all of us, have the great, awesome opportunity, if we will only seize it, to together become examples of joy. Our words can strengthen other Christians so much so that Christians throughout South Florida will look to West Palm Beach and they'll say, what are they doing there? And they're not going to talk about what Scott or Brent are doing. They're going to talk about what you are doing, what all the Christians there are doing in the congregation. They're going to say, what an awesome example. What a model for us to follow in our afflictions, to use that to teach other people, to use that to bring unbelievers to Jesus Christ. This is far more effective, I believe, than what many churches do today. And a reason why I believe many churches are remaining stagnant or falling apart today is because this culture is not being infused. And I want us to have this culture infused, this culture that says every Christian can speak to the, for themselves about Jesus Christ to their friends. Every person can speak about Jesus Christ. And so then I believe then that the Thessalonian model gives us three things that we can do. The first thing that I believe we can do is we can have purpose in our suffering. I hope that this... Uh, context this text will give you purpose in your suffering our goal in suffering is to glorify and display hope and please God but the result of that and the thing that gives us hope and purpose is is that when we seek our father and rejoice in our suffering we can display a model to be imitated by Christians and non-Christians what greater contrast of light from darkness can we display by being one who rejoices in spiritual blessings when our physical lives give us no reason to rejoice, when we're afflicted by trials and persecution. Instead of being negative and unthankful and complaining like the world, we can stand out and find purpose by rejoicing and knowing that our disposition of joy can teach others. Second, we can do this by having the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is not a joy that's found in this world. We're not displaying an illogical or fake happiness in the midst of suffering. I submit to you that happy people don't change the world in the slightest. Our joy must be 
genuine and founded in our knowledge of and confidence in our blessings through the Holy Spirit, our blessings through Jesus Christ. This is a joy found in suffering when we dwell on and participate in and rejoice in forgiveness, fellowship with God, when we rejoice in serving others, when we rejoice in prayer, when we rejoice in reading the word and when we rejoice in proclaiming the gospel, when our lives are crumbling, we're rejoicing in these blessings. And when we rejoice in these blessings that have been given to us, we are showing the world that we have been given a superior spiritual contentment because these blessings have been given to us. They are eternal. We have better satisfaction. We have better security when there is no security to the naked eye. This is the type of joy that will change the world. Not happiness is found in this world. Happiness is found by, ooh, I've got a car, or ooh, I've got a house. But joy, eternal joy found in Jesus Christ. The third thing that this tells us is that we can speak to unbelievers ourselves. When people see genuine joy from the Holy Spirit, this will cause each one of us to become models in our families Models in our church and models in our community. And consider this for a moment, what great effect this can have. If just each one of us, just each one of us are having an effect on one, two or three people. Imagine what a huge, huge influence that is. If just, if we can just have one one unbeliever that we have an effect on in our family or community, just each one of us doing that, what an amazing spreading effect of the gospel can come forth from that. The great part then is that when people notice our joy and affliction, the Thessalonians show us that we can speak up about our joy and affliction. But what do we speak up about in specific? That's kind of our question oftentimes. Well, I have someone that's interested, but what do I say to them after they have noticed how different I am? Notice verses 9 to 10. Let's just keep going back to the text here. Verses 9 to 10, what people were reporting about the Thessalonians. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The Thessalonians were telling other people about their conversion story. They were telling other people about the puny idols of the world that they turned from to serve the true God and they were telling others about the wrath to come but the confidence and hope that they had in spite of it. Each person who has experienced those blessings can voice those blessings to other people. We simply tell them how we don't find joy in the things of this world anymore in comparison to our surpassing joy of Jesus, of serving Jesus with our whole hearts. He gives me purpose. I have hope. I have life. I don't have uncertainty about mankind's purpose on this world anymore. I don't have uncertainty about what's going to happen when I die. And when we kind of put that question on them, what what do you think is going to happen when you die? We'll be able to tell whether they want to slough us off or whether they're truly interested. And if they are truly interested and we can tell, seize upon that opportunity and just offer to read the Bible with them. Everybody can read the Bible with someone else. 
That's just simply uh, anybody can just you know sit down in a coffee shop. Here's a few examples. Just sit down in a coffee shop, sit down in a break room or a lunch room, or sit down in their living room or living your living room at a dining table. And just read the Bible with them. Read the Gospel of Mark, that powerful, impactful Gospel. It's short, it's to the point, it's full of miracles and action. And you can say, as you go through, look at what Jesus did here. Isn't that amazing? What compassion He had there. Look at how He went to the cross and suffered and died for us. Why would He do that? If they continue to be interested after you read the book of Mark with them, you, you can go to the book of Acts and you can say, hey, look at how they had joy and affliction. Hey, look at how everybody here, after they believed, they were immediately baptized. Huh? Have you done that? Is that something you're interested in? See, it's so easy to just read the Bible. It's just reading the Bible with the answers right there in front of you. If they ask you a question you don't know, people don't mind you taking a week to come back and ask that question or answer that question. I just show you these things and give you this quick little how-to plan because I want to dispel the fear that Satan puts in our hearts. He puts this, do not be deceived. It is Satan that is putting that fear in our hearts that tells us that I'm scared of, of telling my conversion story and of reading the Bible with someone else. That's Satan, folks, because it's not difficult when we actually do it. It's not that difficult to simply voice those things that we have experienced, to read those things that we love. It is not difficult. Reading the Bible with someone else is a joy that we can all experience. Anybody can do it. And I want you to know, though people will say that nobody's looking for answers and nobody has any interest... People are looking for answers. People are looking for hope. They are looking. And uh, when I was in Houston this past week, I heard awesome stories of salvation. Some churches in San Diego and in Seattle, the, the places of the utmost immorality in America are growing by 20, 25 people a year. Because there is interest. People are feeding on the gospel and let's give it to them, Christians. Let's give it to them. Let's show them hope. Let's change their lives. Let's change this community and be a model to other Christians. So everyone's just jealous of what has been able to happen here and wants to make it happen for them too. Be a model of joyous faithfulness and this is possible. If there's any way that we can help you have that joy in the midst of your affliction, I know it's not possible without all of us here. And so we want to encourage you. And if you've not experienced the blessings in Christ, if you have not come into a relationship with Him, know that that is possible by expressing your faith and dependence on Jesus Christ and coming to Him, being baptized in water, and all those sins are taken away and His blood will cleanse you. And you can can walk a new life, redeemed, everything changed, and become a part of this model, this model that this church here is trying to build. If there's any way we can help you, talk to us afterwards or come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.